Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we continue our Fantasy File series with a look at Daniel Jones, a.k.a. Danny Freaking Dimes. And lordy, lordy, the New York Giants were terrible last season. Uh, if you're a Giants fan, you follow me on Twitter. I'm sorry. I know I use that Jason Garrett train picture seemingly every day to find another reason to make fun of this team. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, look, they scored 24 or more points in two games last year. Every other team in the NFL reached that threshold on at least four separate occasions. They had a minus 77 point, dif- minus 77 point differential, fourth lowest mark in the NFC. All but one of their six wins came by five or fewer points. There is never a moment in 2020 where the Giants looked anything like a contender, and a lot of that does need to be placed on the shoulders of Daniel Jones. And I'm not trying to say that Daniel Jones was the sole root of the problem. This offensive line was a disaster. We'll get to that more in a second. Didn't have, you know, the best weapons in the world. Defense, while I think it overperformed, particularly as the season went on, Joe Judge kind of got, you know, some of that toughness just instilled in him. Before then, I mean, we, we still did see them lose some games as well. So with that in mind, I mean, just, again, tough to say too many good things from Daniel Jones, particularly from a counting stats standpoint. The single craziest stat I have found this entire offseason, and I spent way too much time on my computer looking this shit up. And believe me when I say this is the craziest one I found. Dak Prescott, who played four and a half games last year, scored 13 touchdowns. Daniel Jones, who played 14 games, scored 12 total touchdowns. Somehow, Dak Prescott, through rushing, receiving, and passing, accounted for more total touchdowns than Daniel Jones in the year 2020. Absolutely wild. And when I kind of, because again, I I hadn't dove into Daniel Jones until the last few days, just super uh, deep into kind of what was going on with him last year. And I just assumed that he took a step back from his rookie year because coming into 2020, he was a pretty... Uh, I wouldn't say super popular, but he was a solid late round quarterback. A lot of people were looking at, and he was actually creeping up towards that QB one borderline, depending on what ranking you were looking at. And the rationale made a little bit of sense. I mean, Lamar Jackson racked up seven 30 plus fantasy point performances in 2019. Daniel Jones was second in terms of 30 point performances with three. So, I mean, Phillip Rivers, like that we had that crazy stat. Phillip Rivers never got 30 fantasy points in a single game. At least Daniel Jones showed as a rookie that he could do that on three separate occasions. The problem was, like, he did improve his efficiency. Like, every, pretty much every stat you want to look at, you know, big-time throws, PFF passing grade, yards per attempt. He got better from 2019 and 2020. The result still wasn't anything more than an average-to-below-average quarterback, though. His PFF passing grade tied for 17th among 44 qualified QBs. His big-time throw rate was 16th. His turnover-worthy play rate was 24th. Adjusted completion rate tied for 28th. 
28th yards per attempt, tied for 31st. So Daniel Jones, unfortunately, didn't give us the same sort of pop weeks. Again, he had three games with 30-plus points in 2019. He only had two games with more than 20 points in 2020, finished as the QB 24. So really the only reason he wasn't a bust was because of his rushing ability. And it was kind of the same way with the Wentz. It's like these crappy NFC East offenses. When push came to shove, they just decided, let's run our white quarterbacks and see what happens. But guess what? They were sneaky athletic. They were good enough to put up some yards. And Daniel Jones, he gained at least 40 rushing yards in five separate occasions. And he had that one run against the Eagles where he ended up falling on his face where... Apparently, he registered a faster time than Lamar Jackson with the ball in his hand per next-gen stats. You know, people do forget Daniel Jones is apparently the fastest man alive. Uh, with that in mind, though, we saw him fall off a cliff once he suffered his hamstring injury uh, towards the end of the year. I mean, what, you know, we know Kyler Murray really uh, started to suffer after he had that shoulder injury and taking off. Same thing, except more extreme happened with Daniel Jones. I mean, he only gained 20 total rushing yards in his final three games. Giants, excuse me, nice voice cracking him. Giants only scored uh, 7, 13, and 23 points in those final three games. So counting stats, horrific. Most efficiency stats, pretty meh. Now, there were two really good things about Daniel Jones last year. See, people, I'm not just a Giants hater. I'm just trying to find the truth of the matter. And he did two things really well. Throwing the ball deep, 20-plus yards downfield. Only Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson earned a higher PFF passing grade when targeting a receiver at least 20 yards downfield. I mean, there was this throw against the Bengals, which should have been a 75-yard touchdown, hit Darius Slayton right in the chest. Unfortunately, couldn't come down with it. And we saw him consistently give his receivers a chance downfield. You know, unfortunately, when you're kind of throwing to Slayton, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, None of them necessarily awful, but at the same time, I think we can admit also not exactly, you know, the best group of downfield receivers. We just didn't quite see that, you know, become a focal part of their offense, even though he was good when they asked him to do it. And the other good thing from Jones was he was really good out of a clean pocket, which is promising. This is one of the more, uh, I guess, reflective measures of, you know, what we can expect year to year. Like pressure stats tend to fluctuate a lot. Clean pocket stats tend to actually stabilize a bit more and can indicate who actually is a pretty damn good quarterback when given the chance to be so. And he was 11th in PFF passing grade and 12th in big time throw rate when given the benefit of a clean pocket. The problem, people. Again, two best things, deep balls and clean pockets. Didn't really have a chance to do either. Last year, only the Jets allowed a higher pressure rate than the Giants overall. But I think the Giants were actually the worst offensive line because pressure does tend to be more of a quarterback stat. I mean, they hold the ball too long sometimes. You know, guys like Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, they, you know, I'm not even saying it's the worst decision in the world, but we see their pressure rates high because instead of, you know, recognizing that pressure is about to come, they don't get rid of the ball. They try to create something because they're magicians half the time. And they can make something out of nothing. Whereas, you know, a quarterback... Uh, you know, we'll go like a Joe Flacco or something, probably just throws the ball away at the first sign of pressure, doesn't give you that, you know, extra potential to make something happen. With all that said, though, we can take with our cool PFF stats, I can take uh, the time to throw and look at only two and a half seconds or under. So situations where you would expect a quarterback to have time to get rid of the ball. And the Giants were dead last and pressure rate allowed on those throws that were released in under two and a half seconds. So unfortunately, Jones, he was great when he was kept clean, but he was not kept clean. He was under pressure pressure more than just about anybody last year so hopefully these new weapons the Giants got are able to turn around and help him out Kenny Galladay got signed to a massive deal and you know the artist known as Babytron people kind of hate that nickname I don't know JJ late round QB came up with it a couple years ago I enjoy it 
So Galladay, I mean, 6'4", 213, 4'5", speed. We saw him go for over 1,000 yards in 2018 and 2019 before, unfortunately, my helicopter cursed him, got him injured just five games into 2020. But just looking at what he does, I know he doesn't separate, but he has proven that 50-50 balls are at least 60-40 when you're throwing to Kenny Galladay. Galladay joins Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin, Stephon Diggs as the only wide receivers to catch at least 60% of their contested targets since 2017, and nobody has a higher PFF receiving grade than Galladay on contested targets since entering the league. So Galladay, anyone's idea of a true number one wide receiver, and he makes that offense, as he would make any offense, better. And the other guy, Kadarius Toney, who people didn't love in the fantasy football circle, but man, man it just kind of comes out more and more whether it's the Giants or the Jaguars that NFL teams did think of him highly and you know sounds like PFF was uh, pretty much on the same wavelength at least Mike Renner in our PFF 2021 NFL draft guide uh, this is what Mike had to say it's players like Tony who make football the greatest game in the world. N nice start, Mike. Uh, the way he stops and starts in the blink of an eye is truly amazing to watch. He has the kind of flexibility and explosiveness in his lower half that allows him to break tackles in ways I've truly never seen before. It's why he broke 32 tackles on only 80 catches the past two seasons. More of a gadget player early in his career. Tony finally looked like a true receiver in 2020. He's not polished. He's not a polished route runner by any means, but he showed off. He showed all the ability needed to separate constantly in the NFL. Great stuff there. Darius Slayton's fine. If he's your number four receiver now, he's a great number four. Sterling Shepard has always been better out of the slot. He'll be there full time now with Golden Take on. Evan Ingram can't play much worse than he did last year. We got Kyle Rudolph there just in case he does. Hell, even John Ross has joined the wide receiver crew, and that's before mentioning all-world talent Saquon Barkley is back in the picture. So the weapons are objectively better for Daniel Jones. The problem is, what we say before, people, the two things he does best, throwing deep and clean pockets. I'm not so sure he's got the chance to do either because of Jason Garrett and this offensive line that PFF ranks as the single worst group entering the 2021 season. I mean, look, last year they were not good. This year, and you can check out Steve uh, PFF Steve's offensive line ranking at pff.com, the general gist of the article is this. The bottom line is that the Giants' offensive line is a massive question mark. They need their young players to develop and their veterans to provide career years just to rank in the middle of the pack for 2021. And then we got Jason Garrett, the problem. Here, you know, just we see smart teams do certain things more in the NFL, play action, you know, shifting, motioning. Certain stats can tell us, you know, what a smart offense is. And that is basically the opposite of the Giants. Last year, they were 14th in play action rate. Not awful. Everything else is. 31st in pressure rate. 29th in screen rate, 25th in deep passing rate, 32nd in passing yards after the catch per completion, 22nd in shift motion rate, and 30th in targets to open or wide open receivers. Daniel Jones' job was never easy in 2020. I don't think it's going to be a ton easier in 2021, despite adding these new weapons, because we got the freaking clapper being the guy orchestrating everything. I mean, this is the reigning 31st-ranked scoring offense. Galladay, Tony, that's great. Their wide receivers are better. When I did my team needs for everyone going into the year, wide receiver didn't even make the list for the Giants. I think they could have used more help on defense, and they end up adding, and that offensive line just remains the massive hole. I don't care about the O-line as much for running backs. That's why I'm still high on Saquon Barkley. He's going to have the volume to overcome this. I mean, Jason Garrett gave him that massive role in week one. He's been doing that with Zeke and DeMarco Murray before him for the better part of the past decade. I'm not worried about Saquon. I am worried about everyone else primarily because of the clapper. And that takes us to our PFF Lily stat. Last year, the Giants averaged 3.4 yards per pass attempt on targets behind the line of scrimmage. So screens, pop passes, 
3.4 yards per attempt, people. That is the single lowest mark in a season since 2013. I think we can say, even the biggest Daniel Jones haters out there, he's capable of throwing somewhat accurate passes behind the line of scrimmage. They just haven't been designed even close to well enough to pick up more than, again, 3.4 yards. You're better off running the ball if you're the Giants than you are throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage, and they are basically the only team in the league that can say that. So that takes me to my Daniel Jones ranking. I, I can't get behind him this year. He's my QB 26. He's in the realistic path to success, but hardly a foolproof investment tier. Uh, you know, when I was writing my article, I was writing, hey, you know, Zach Wilson and Darnold, I picked these guys ahead of him. It felt icky. I, I think Jones, maybe I want to move him up to QB 24, 23 area. If you want to put him as high as QB 20, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think my big lesson from kind of going through these quarterbacks in this tier, though, is I don't want I don't want quarterbacks in this tier. Give me the rookies. Give me Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then, you know, obviously the top actual 12 to 15 quarterbacks we have in the ranks well ahead of these guys. I just think that there's far too low of a ceiling here. And I am not in the business of trying to just hope that Jones emerges as an exception in what, again, appears to be a very bad offense. I mean. If anything, this defense looks better. They added a Dory Jackson to their cornerback room. And I understand he hasn't, you know, been quite the playmaker a lot of people would hope for coming out of USC. He's your number two behind James Bradbury. That's absolutely fine. If this defense takes a step forward, Saquon comes back to make him more of a run first unit. Even a boost in efficiency isn't necessarily going to help Daniel Jones. So we'll keep an eye on it. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily going to be even drafted. I can almost guarantee he won't be drafted in the majority of one quarterback leagues. If, you know, we start seeing an early season shift in Garrett's scheme and Jones is all, all of a sudden doing good with efficiency. He's keeping the rushing yards per game up. 30 rushing yards per game last year. Nothing to scoff at. I'm just worried about that happening again in 2021 after we saw what happened with the hamstring injury and more importantly with Saquon in the picture. So Daniel Jones, QB 26, not someone in really this Giants passing game in general. Not really a situation I'm looking to get too much exposure to in fantasy land. But hey, people, if you want a different angle on the situation, I encourage you to check out PFS Podcast Network, which covers everything and NFL college and fantasy football. You can recap the NFL draft with Mike Renner and Austin Gale's two for one draft podcast or get all 2021 betting content you need with the PFF forecast. And please check out our 2021 best ball draft kit tiered rankings to projections to targetable stacks the season's favorable matchups the only resource you'd ever need to recap across best ball formats all season long as always when you play best ball go to underdog fantasy and deposit ten dollars using promo code pff and get a free pff edge and subscription that's promo code pff draft now at underdog fantasy Quick thing to get off my chest, uh, the Waffle House punishment going around the old Twitter sphere. Pretty hilarious uh, guy to go in there. And I believe the rule is you guys stay in a Waffle House for 24 hours and every waffle you eat removes an hour from the equation. So personally, I'm a pancake over waffle guy. I think both are good. Don't put a gun to my head over this take, but I don't know. Like if you're going to do it, maybe have a, keep a little respect. Go with some pancakes. Best thing you can do, keep listening to this podcast and I will do my best to make sure none of you have to go through with the last place punishment myself i have in the past let's see it would have been 10 11 years ago it, it i'm ashamed to say this i have lost one fantasy league it happened my freshman year in college back in 2011 or 12 and basically i won't okay you know, sometimes one of the reasons maybe I hate kickers and uh, special teams you know i i lose based on this massive special teams 
crisis. LaShawn McCoy sent my ass to the, uh, you know, loser playoffs when he had that crazy snow game against the Lions. I remember like it was yesterday. Regardless of how I got there, I came in last and my punishment was not to go to the Waffle House. I had to wear a Tim Tebow Jets jersey to my college uh, humanities class every Tuesday for 10 straight weeks. That was our, you know, quarter system. And the worst part was people, you know, it wasn't getting made fun of for the Tim Debo jersey. It wasn't just a constant question about it. The worst part was nobody in my class for an entire quarter asked why I didn't wear anything other than a team Tim Tebow freaking jersey. So I went to school at the University of Chicago. You know, one of our uh, just sayings over the years that U Chicago is the place where fun goes to die. Uh, you know, home of the original Heisman Trophy winner, Jay Burwanger. So football is fine, but my goodness, the normal student population just did not have anything for me there. I remember meeting one kid in the class at a party and he, he finally asked me what was going on. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I suck at fantasy football. And uh, I had to unfortunately wear that jersey every week. And none of you said anything, just thought I was weird as hell from afar. So uh, is what it is i'm happy to say i have not worn that uh, tim tebow jersey once since then it is in the closet uh somewhere maybe i should break it out for one of these pods and i look forward to continuing to not finish and last again it's got that fire still under my ass gotta continue to uh you know the, the whole first or last saying no it's like first and please don't finish last at least in fantasy football leagues where you have these sort of punishments so thank you as always for tuning in to pff fantasy football podcast new episodes every single day gonna continue to try to get plenty of nfl player interviews and starting in July, I'm going to start getting back into some fantasy analysts from around the industry, getting our 10 questions and start giving more complete uh, previews. As much as I do love this fantasy file series, getting ready to go through each and every one. Hey, it's going to be, you know, 100 episodes by the time everything is said and done. I understand not all of you are going to be able to make it through each and every one. So I will in July start doing, you know, quarterback, running back, wide receiver previews and kind of getting just more specific podcasts to also help uh, kind of preview this. So always try and come up with more things to help you all. So thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody. 